0: Alrighty, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, let's pray and go ahead and get started. Lord, we uh, thank you and praise you for who you are and what you've done, and just as we get ready to start a new book, just pray that you would um, go before in all ways and all things. We love you and we praise you, Lord, in your name, amen. 2 Corinthians, you know, uh, kind of a uh, worldly introduction, if you will, here for a second, um... I've been teaching out here on Wednesday nights for 14 years and been teaching out here at church on Sundays. I've been pastor for 11 years. So over that time, we've covered, of the 66 books in the Bible, we've covered all but about, I think it's about 12 of them. And we have never covered, in the 11 years I've been on here, we've never covered 2 Corinthians. And So anytime I get done with the book, I always like to go back, and Nancy's got a list of all the books that we've gone through in the time frames. It's like we've never covered 2 Corinthians. And, And 2 Corinthians is an absolutely wonderful book. And it just doesn't get a lot of respect. When you think of Corinthians, you always think of 1 Corinthians. you got 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. you got 1 Corinthians 14, spiritual gifts. 2 Corinthians is kind of like the sequel that's better than the first movie, and no one really pays attention to it. And we could go through movies, and I could tell you there's certain movies that the sequel is better than the first one, but people only think about that. 2 Corinthians is a better book than 1 Corinthians. They're all good, but it's a little bit better. And the problem is it doesn't get a lot of attention. In fact, we haven't done an epistle out here in about a year or so. Uh, we've been doing Proverbs on Sunday mornings, and we've done Ecclesiastes on Wednesdays. We've been doing uh, Joshua, then we've we'll been doing Leviticus. So it's been a while since we've been into an epistle. So it's probably been about a year or so. So we're going to get into 2 Corinthians. And this is a, it's a quick-moving book. We're not going to get through all of chapter 1 tonight because I'm doing an introduction to it. But this is something we're going to move pretty quickly through it. And I like this book. I like this book. A little bit of background here. Uh, Obviously, 2 Corinthians was written about a year after 1 Corinthians. Now, it's probably written in the mid to late 50s, about mid to late 50s A.D. This is about 20 years after Paul got saved. Uh, We know from Paul's life from studying out the other books of the Bible. In Acts 18, Paul was in Corinth. That's obviously who Corinthians was written to, the city of Corinth. He worked with Priscilla and Aquila there. Now, always every time I hear Aquila. That's one of those Bible names that never really caught on with guys. But Priscilla and Aquila, he worked with them. He was in Corinth for about a year and a half. After that, in Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. And what happens is, while he's in Ephesus, a group from Corinth come to Paul, and they have a list of all these Bible questions. Because you've got to remember, back during Bible times, you know, if you wanted to figure out what God wanted or some questions about theology, you didn't go online, you didn't have a commentary, well, you went to Paul. That's not bad. So they go to Paul with this list of Bible questions. Paul responds, 1 Corinthians. Problem is, some of Paul's answers were pretty straightforward. Now, Paul is the type of guy, when you look throughout the Bible, and if you had to pick somebody to be locked in a room with for a long time, I don't know if you'd really want to pick Paul. <laughs> Paul was a great man of God, a great theologian, but Paul, by his own admission, was kind of a rough guy to get along with. He was very straightforward. He was very to the point. And so 1 Corinthians Is a very straightforward book on here's the issues, deal with it. Well, what happened was the people at Corinth got this book back and they were crushed. Not because Paul said anything wrong. They were just crushed because it was so straightforward about Paul and what he thought about everything. So the key verse to 2 Corinthians is actually found, if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the key verse to Corinthians is found in 2 Corinthians 7. This is Paul's response to them being crushed by his first letter. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you are made sorry, but through sorrow led to repentance. For you are made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul basically comes out and says, yeah, I was hard on you. Kind of feel bad about that, but I really don't, because it fixed the problems that need to be dealt with. The other day, Kenan did something wrong, and I took him into the bedroom, and he goes, "Yes." He goes, "Sorry." And Kenan's, Kenan's got the puppy eyes. None of the other kids had the puppy eyes. ken has got the puppy eyes. He goes, "Sorry." and I said, "I know you're sorry." He goes, "You spank me?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I spank you." He goes, "Why?" I said, "I'm sorry." I said, "I spank you so you remember not to do it again the next time." Now. I don't like spanking my kids. I don't know anybody that enjoys that. But it's the same thing here as 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I, I don't regret it because that sorrow hopefully leads to repentance. And the same thing happens in the body of Christ today. I don't like going to people and saying, hey, I love you, but you're wrong. It's not fun. But it needs to be done it needs to be corrected, and we can't allow sin to creep into our lives or into the body of Christ. Well, 1 Corinthians was that letter to say, I can't allow sin to creep into your church at Corinth. I love you too much to let that happen. Well, they kind of got their feelings hurt a little bit. So 2 Corinthians is kind of a little bit of a makeup letter. They kind of say, hey, sorry you're hurt, but I'm really not sorry. But This is one of the most honest letters of Paul. Paul actually comes across in 2 Corinthians as kind of having some feelings and some emotions here. He, kinda, he really cares for this place. And, and he basically is saying, through these chapters of 2 Corinthians, basically through 13 chapters, I love you enough to step on your toes because I care about you. And that's what you have here in 2 Corinthians. So that's the background for it, and that's what you see. Well, let's, let's pick up the pace here. Paul's basic greeting in verses 1 through 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's standard greeting. And you can really analyze this. There's some neat parts here. Paul, he's an apostle. That word apostle means one who has been sent. It literally means a messenger. Paul is basically saying, hey, I have the authority. I'm sent by God to send you this letter of, through Christ to correct what's going on. It's to the church at Corinth. A little bit of background at Corinth. When I was doing some studying on Corinth, these are the words that they used to describe Corinth. Corinth was vulgar, wealthy, and immoral. In fact, prostitutes in other regions of the world were called Corinthians because that's the way they looked at it. If you know anything about Bible history, Corinth had the temple of Aphrodite there, which had a thousand temple prostitutes on hand. It was considered okay and customary. This was a Roman colony, and it was a government seat. This was a powerful town during the time of Paul. And it was immoral, and it was filthy, and they were totally okay with that. That's where they planted this church. It's amazing how when now you do church plants. It's in a nice, suburban, grassy area. Paul said, let's go to Corinth. Let's plant it right there. And what a place that was there. Uh, A neat quote that's been said about the church at Corinth was this. The church was in the world like it should be, but in Corinth, the world was in the church. I thought, wow, isn't that true? Think about that. The church was in the world like it should be, but at Corinth, the world was in the church. And that's what happened to Corinth. When you go and you look at 1 Corinthians, and if you're not doing anything right now for devotions tonight, I encourage you, read through 1 Corinthians. It's a good book. It's a very good book. But there was a lot of immorality going on in Corinthians. Not just spiritual confusion, but morality, sexual immorality was going on. Paul says, we have to take care of this. So, with that being said, that's the introduction. Now let's get into the heart of this book. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast. Because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you'll be partakers of the consolation. Now, who cannot relate to suffering? Some of you came in here tonight and you're suffering. You're suffering physically. You're suffering emotionally. You've got a lot of baggage going on right now. Uh, you've got a lot of problems at home. Marriage is falling apart. Relationships with the kids. I don't know what it is you're suffering. You're suffering spiritually. You're full of why questions. Lord, why? I don't get it. Well, in verses 3 through 7, Paul comes out and says, you suffer so that way you can bless others. I don't really like to hear that. But that's what he says there in verses 3 through 7. He goes, you suffer so therefore you can bless others. Now, I don't think any of us here in the moment of suffering ever stop and say, thank you, Lord, for this suffering. Because I know you're going to use this later on in life to bless others. Almost any time when we're suffering, the first thing we pray is, Lord, end it, take care of it. We've had a rough last couple of weeks at the Irvin house, a lot of sickness. Uh, Dawn ended up going to the doctor on Monday and found out she's been battling pneumonia. Now, we've been praying for her to feel better. We've been praying for healing. We've been having the kids pray. Never once in that week and a half where she had pneumonia, do we ever stop and say, Lord, thank you for pneumonia. She's going to use this for your glory. No. She went to the doctor on Monday and we prayed, Lord, just, we just prayed that everything would work out. Good doctor there and everything answered prayer. We never once said, Lord. Maybe there'll be an unsaved nurse there that she can share the gospel. Never once. Never once did I think of 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 and said, Wow, Lord, this suffering is going to bless others. Never once thought that. But yet, isn't that what Paul's trying to tell you in verses 3 through 7? The next time you're going through something, how hard would it be to stop and say, Lord, thank you for this suffering? Lord, I thank you for the difficulties we're having in marriage, because I can help somebody later on. Lord, I thank you for my job being so difficult right now and stressful because I'm going to be able to bless and help other people. Lord, I thank you for this physical pain I'm in right now because I'm going to be able to. No, we never think like that. We don't. I was talking to a pastor friend that I've shared with you before. Um, Neat guy. He's been on dialysis for about uh, 21 years now. And in fact, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before. If I did, forgive me. He had a biopsy last week to find out. Uh, if he has kidney cancer, because he's been struggling with a lot of things, and he needs a lot of prayer. And his name is Ed, and I would encourage you to keep him in prayer. But he said one time at a pastor's conference when he was teaching, and I, I've shared this with you, that when he first found out about his kidney problems 20-plus years ago, obviously all his prayers were for what? Healing. Anybody with oil, anoint me, please. Pray for me. He said he just prayed for healing, prayed for healing, prayed for healing. And it was finally years later, he says, now I realize it. Now I realize it, that that dialysis that I have to do three times a week is opportunities for me to share the gospel with people that I never get to share the gospel with. And his attitude totally changed on it. Instead of looking at it as suffering, he now looks at it as, Lord, it's an opportunity to comfort others because of what I go through. Now that's a very mature response. And I'll be honest, I'm not at that area in my Christian walk as much as I should be. But verses 3 through 7 are pretty straightforward with that. The next time you're suffering... We like to jump into Ecclesiastes more. Lord, lo, woe is me. Lord, please end this. Please finish. Paul says, don't do that. Because you know what he says? Check this out. He goes, whatever you are suffering with, the comfort will be there. Look at verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. The more you suffer, the more comfort you have. Your sufferings will never outweigh God's comfort. Think about that. Your sufferings will never outweigh God's comfort. They never will. But yet, don't you think in the middle of that emotional, physical, or spiritual pain, I can't handle this, Lord. I can't do this. I can't handle another moment of this. God says, yes, you can. Because why? Verse 3, I'm the God of comfort. Now, note he's not the God of comfort in verse 3. He's the God of what? All comfort. How many times in the world today do we try to find comfort in something else other than the Lord? He's the God of all comfort. Now, there's the big ones we always say. The people in the world, they turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They turn to physical pleasure and all that type of stuff. But you know what? There's also a lot of things we turn to to get us through tough times. I I knew a a gal that I was pretty close to. Anytime she had a tough day, she always went shopping. That was her comfort. I know people say, I just got to go home and veg out in front of the TV for a while. Those are are Band-Aids on a broken arm. It gets you through for a little bit. But if you truly want comfort, you need to, verse 3, go to the God of all comfort. it always, always gives me a sick feeling in my stomach when I see a a brother or sister in the Lord taken down by tribulation, turning to something in the world to to get them through. Some type of comfort. And God says, no, I'm the God of all comfort. Note the word all there. And look at verse 4. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. Note the word again, all. You do not have a problem in your life that is too big for the Lord. Now, I know we all know this, and all of us would agree with that, but the truth of the matter is, doesn't there sometimes you have in your life something that you almost think, maybe subconsciously? This one's too big. This one's too big. This this one is one that does not fall under the category of all in verse 4. And as the silly old joke goes, I looked up the word all. You know what the word all means? All. It falls under it. You you do not have a problem in your life, and neither I, that does not fall under verse 4 of all tribulation. So therefore, if every problem I have falls under all tribulation, that means it can all be fixed by verse 3, the God of all comfort. Now, very simply put, you either believe this or you don't believe this. If you think your trial tribulation is bigger than God, I can't change your mind on that. But if that's what you believe, then you're not understanding verses 3 through 7. If you're saying, okay, I understand my problem is big and God can handle it, but this is one where I'm not getting the comfort I need, well, then you're not understanding verse 3. If he's the God of all comfort, he's the God of all comfort. Yeah, but you don't understand how bad I'm suffering. No, I don't. But verse 5 says whatever you're suffering, the comfort will be equal to that suffering. But why do we have a problem with it? Let's just be honest in verses 3 through 7. We're selfish. When I'm sick, I'm not worrying about being a light and a witness. I just want to feel better. When I'm having a bad day, a stressful day, I'm not worrying about, Lord, how are you going to use this stressful time to further the kingdom? I just want the stressful time to be over. I'm not thinking about that. Last year, when we were, um, it was the last day, Don and I took some time off with the kids. It was the last day of vacation. We're coming home from BG. Bee it's been a nice week. We're on 235, get a flat tire. And I don't know what you, your van's like, but if you remember when you had little ones, we have four little ones to get to the tire on the van. My goodness, you had to unload every single thing you had. So it took us a while to get to it, and we're there on 235 trying to get the tire out. I couldn't figure out how to get the tire down, and I was calling people. Hey, how do you get the tire down? I, did I, share, I think I shared this story with you before. I called three different people. Uh, I called Adam Lommer's and, and Renee because I knew they both had a van like ours. I was like, how do you get the tire down? They couldn't help me. So I called Jason, and if I told you this story, just laugh along, please, later. I called Jason, my brother-in-law, that comes out here and does the car care ministry. I said, Jason, I said, I don't know how to get the tire down out of the car. I said, We don't have a book in our van. It didn't come with a book. And it was one of those things when we bought the van, the guy says, Hey, just want to let you know it doesn't come with an owner's manual. I said, Ah, don't worry about it. You know, you never need the owner's manual. Yeah, you do. So, um, (laughs) didn't know how to get the tire down. So I said, Jason, I said, I'm on 235. I'm underneath the van. I can see the tire. The tire is right there. There's something which lowers the tire. I don't know what to do. And so Jason's like, Hold on a second. He goes, Okay, do you see this? I said, Yeah. Do you see that? I said, Yeah. I said, What are you doing? Goes, so well, I'm at Walmart, and I crawled under someone's van. I'm trying to see how to, <laughs> and that's when Jason got arrested. Um, but anyway, now I totally lost my track. Okay, oh yes, now I remember. Now I wasn't thinking at that time, Lord, you're going to use this flat tire for your good and glory and all that other junk. I wasn't thinking that. So somebody stops by to help us, a nice guy, and you know what? I got a chance to talk to him and you know talk about the Lord. It wasn't hardcore evangelism and witnessing, but it was a chance to plant some seeds and then to get a good chance to write them a thank you later on and say, God bless you, and thank you. you know, and you know, the Lord brought you there. Wow, thank you, Lord. And my tiny little suffering, got a comfort, got us through it, and then yet got a chance to bless somebody else out of it. That's what Paul says. Next time you're suffering, verses 3 through 7, just don't be selfish. We're all selfish about it. Lord, help me to see the bigger picture here. Whatever I'm going through, whatever suffering it is, you're going to get me through it. You're going to get me through it. You will. Well, Paul goes one step further. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had this sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does does deliver us, In whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also, helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now, I like verses 8 through 11 because Paul says, wait a second, guys. He goes, you're suffering. Verses 8 through 11 goes, I'm suffering too. I'm suffering, verse 8, to the point of I almost died. Burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. See, this is the problem. When we suffer, we become selfish and we start thinking, no one has been through what I've been through. No one has had the pain that I've had. No one suffered like I've suffered. No one, Paul says, in verse 8, he goes, hey, don't forget, I almost died. See, it's that perspective thing. So now what happens, though, is sometimes I see people then, well, see, then this is why I shouldn't complain, because my problem's so little compared to everybody. Well, then they almost go to the flip side of, woe is me because I said woe is me. No, just find a balance. You're going through a difficult time. Your time is difficult. It is tough. It is suffering. Is there somebody suffering worse than you? Yeah, because... If you look at it logically, of the 5, 6 billion people on earth, only one person can be suffering the worst at one time in the world. Only one person. There's always going to be somebody that has it rougher than you. There's always going to be somebody that has it better than you. You don't get into comparative Christianity. Comparative Christianity just leads to problems. Paul says you suffer in verses 3 through 7. God comforts you to help other people. But he also says in verses 8 through 11, remember, other people are suffering too. Don't become so selfish and such a... Um, I had a pastor friend use the term ingrown eyeballs that the only thing you see is yourself. Paul says in verse 8, we despaired almost to death. Now, have you ever been around Christians that almost turn into a party of who can have the worst problem? Well, you know, I'm I'm going through this. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll pray for you. But you know what I'm doing? I'm going through this. They almost try to one-up each other. Paul says, get over it. He goes, you're suffering, I'm suffering. So what do we do, verse 9? First thing you do is you have to trust. Some of your Bibles say, rely do not trust in ourselves. Oh, man, dangerous words. Pastor, I know I'm going through a tough time. I know I just need to buck up and I'll be fine. You can't buck up. I know I'm going through a tough time. I just need to, just need to get my focus back where it needs to be and I'll be okay. There's a lot of eyes in that word. No, verse 9, you need to trust not in yourself but in God. I know a lot of Christians that don't understand it but they're so prideful because they always trust in themselves. I can get through this. I can do this. Well, according to verse 9, Paul says you need to trust in your, not in yourselves but in God. So that's the first word there in verse 9 is trust. What happens after you trust, verse 10? You get delivered. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he still delivers us. There's a lot of delivering in the New King James in verse 10. You trust and then you're delivered. How simple is that? You know, so often you hear about 12-step programs Here's a two-step program. Trust and you're delivered. It's a lot easier than 12. You Trust and you're delivered. Lord, I trust that you're going to comfort me in this situation. Get me through this. And as you get me through this, verse 10, I'm going to be delivered. How simple is that? Remember that word simple because we're going to come back to that. But what happens is you see somebody going through a tough time. And you start saying, well, what can I do? Well, you can do verse 11. You also helping together in prayers for us. You can pray. Boy, as, as a body of Christ, we have really really lost the importance of prayer, of understanding how important prayer is. James, my, my family is really hurting. I don't know what I should do. Well, why don't you pray for him? Well, I am praying for him. Well, we'll pray more. Get up a half hour early and pray. Stay up a half hour later and pray. I want to do something. You are doing something. You're praying. I don't know many times have you heard that. Yeah, I'm going to pray, but I want to do something. Boy, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize more is accomplished in prayer than we can ever imagine. Prayer. Prayer is just giving it over to the Lord. You, you see these people hurting. You see the people hurting in Japan. You see the people hurting in Haiti. You see the people, pray for them. You hear about that pastor that fell on TV. Pray for him and his family. You hear about that church that's falling apart. Pray for him. You know, pray for those co-workers. You know, we're we so easy to complain about people. We're so easy to vent about people. We're so easy to whine about things. Boy, what's what's just pray for it. Paul says, verse 11, you're helping by praying. Wow, you are helping by praying. Don't. Ever underestimate the power of prayer in healing your marriage, fixing your family, God's provisions, and God's just getting you through the day. Well, James, I prayed, and I don't see anything happening. But you got through today. Well, yeah, I got through today. Then it worked. Well, I'm looking for the situation to be fixed. I don't know if it's going to be fixed, but you got through the day. That's why God said, give us this day our daily bread. So you got through the day. That's answered prayer. That's That's great. Now go to the next day. It's simple. And that's what he says here, verse 12. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly towards you. For we're not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you understand even to the end, as you also have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are as in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now some of your translations don't say simplicity there in verse 12. Uh, some, some of them have this idea of integrity. But what Paul is trying to say here is, he goes, guys, highly paraphrased, this is easy. Verse 13, we're not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Paul says, just read what I'm writing you. A God of comfort will get you through your trial and tribulation. Trust in him. You'll be delivered from it. Keep us in prayer. And verse 12, New King James says, it's simple. He goes, that's what I'm telling you. Now, is that not simple? now why don't we do that? Why is it that for some of us suffering tonight, we hear this, but we're not going to trust that God can get it through it? And when something happens later on this week, we're not going to trust that the God of comfort is there. You know, That may work for other people, but it doesn't work for me. The whole pray thing, read the Bible thing just doesn't, doesn't work for me. But it does. God says that's what's going to get you through it. Because he even goes one step further, and you don't need to turn there, but he likes this word, simple. And 2 Corinthians, because in 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. See, now we don't think about that, do we? That Jesus is simple. But do you realize how simple salvation is? There's a heaven, there's a hell. You've sinned, I've sinned. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, so therefore he gives me entrance into heaven through accepting him. How simple is salvation? But we we find it very difficult. It's amazing how the Bible is 66 books. I have in my... um, Office. I have different catechisms from different denominations that I've just collected over the years. And there's one denomination I have that has a catechism that is bigger than the Bible. I just find that fascinating. The catechism of that church to describe its teachings is bigger than the Bible itself that is the teachings of what God wants us to do. What happened to keeping it simple? I heard a pastor say one time, you've heard the acronym KISS, you know, keep it simple stupid. He says it's keep it simple saint. You know, We try to be a little nicer since we're in church. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know how many times I've told people in counseling, you think too much. It's, it's simple. You think too much. You pray, you give it to the Lord, and, and he takes care of it. The problem is people look at that and say, well, see, that's the problem with Christianity. Is You, you guys just water it down. You make, you make difficult things too easy. Life is more complex than that. I don't know if it is more complex to that. I, I mean, we just read 14 verses here that says that God's my comfort in my times of tribulation. I either believe that or I don't. And he makes it clear in verse 11 in verse 3, he's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations. I think that means he's going to be there for me. So that's how Paul starts out to his, church, his letter to the Church of Corinth. He knows they're upset. He knows their feelings are hurt. Good start. Hey, you guys are suffering. I know that. God's going to be there for you. He's going to be there for you. Keep praying. Keep giving over to him. Keep it simple. He's going to get you through this. It's just a nice little pat on the back saying it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Keep your eyes on the Savior, not on the situation. It is amazing how when somebody gets it, how mind-blowing it is. I'll share this story to finish with. I recently did a visit um, to a guy that was uh, in prison. And uh, he's very... (sighs) very difficult time. There's no way around it. Some pretty rough accusations are being made against him that aren't true, and he's going through a very, obviously, tough time. So I visited him very, very recently here, and, you know, how are you doing? And you know what he told me that he's doing? How crazy is this? He's praying for the people that are making the accusations against him. Because he read some stupid verse that says, pray for those that despitefully use you, and pray for your enemies. I don't know where he got that, but that's what he's doing. And I... I said, okay, (laughs) I said, I guess that's what you're supposed to do, (laughs) but that's how simple it is. He said he's not going to sit there and and get angry and get frustrated even though he's sitting in jail waiting for his trial because he knows he's innocent, and he says he wants the trial to come because he says he's got nothing to hide. He says this time he's going to spend, he says he's just in the word all the time, he's in prayer all the time, God says to pray for your enemies, he goes, I am. He goes, I went back and I read the story of Joseph. God says I'm going to use this for good. I said, Wow. You don't need me here. I mean, he he got it. I mean, he, he's got it. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And the problem is when we see Christianity actually working, we don't know what to say. It's that simple. One more quick story. I remember years ago, there was a guy out here that had, some, once again, some very serious accusations brought against him. And um, I just I thought, man, this guy's going to be crushed. I mean, just crushed. And so I waited till I could get a chance to talk to him one-on-one, and we were finishing a study up, and it was just... God, divine appointment, and he was there. It was just him and me, and I pulled him to the side, and I said, man, how are you doing with this? This is tough. He goes, I'm fine. And I said, like, how, how can you be fine? Yeah, I know what you're going through. And he goes, well, he goes, you just taught on fasting on Sunday. And you talked about how if you're going through a tough time, you spend some time in fasting, you give that worry and fear and concern over the Lord, and you sacrifice the flesh to give to the Spirit, and God honors that. And so therefore, through fasting, you spend that time in prayer, and the Lord works through it. So he goes, I've been fasting this week over this situation. I feel fine like, oh, it does work. problem is we just don't see it working too often. Because let's just be honest. As Christians, we don't put into practice the simplicity of what we just read. Oh, maybe I should fast over that. Oh, maybe I should pray for my enemies. Oh, maybe I should trust the God of comfort that comforts us in all tribulation. It works. That's the simplicity of the gospel is that it works. And that's what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians. Guys, it works. It's simple. Got to love it. Got to absolutely love it. Anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up in prayer? All righty, if not, I think you're going to be blessed out of Second Corinthians. It's a great book, great stuff here, and I think it will be a wonderful blessing for you. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you now, I thank you for the time tonight.